This is an ABC podcast. Corbin and Ben, Monday and Thursday, ABC Sport Digital. And, of course, you can catch up anytime under the best of grandstand folder in the podcast store. I'm Corbin Middlemass on the east coast of Australia. Ben Cameron's out west. Hello, Ben. Hello, Corbin. Now, no dilly-dallying today. No. You were very slow on Monday. You left us no time at the end for overrated, Mm. underrated. And we have a big show today, so I want you to just hustle through it, okay? Run a tight ship. Giant Bulldog or Bulldog Giant, whichever one you prefer. Tom Boyd is going to join us for a chat. The best modern-day rivalry in footy. The new president of the Collingwood Football Club, the 13th president in the history of this great club dating back to, what, uh, 1897 when the old VFL started. Just the 13th president they've had, Mark Corder, is going to join us on the program today. But off the very top... Man, who I feel like we haven't heard from enough recently in this usual time slot. He's a good friend of the show, along with Brendan Goddard. He's kind of our missing wheel. I think if we were a, mm. a four-wheel automobile, both Mitch Cleary and Brendan Goddard would be with us. It's Mitch Cleary today, of course, the best newsbreaker in footy. G'day, Masai. Good afternoon, boys. Thanks for having me. Good to hear from you. Yeah, well, it's, there is no coincidence, Mitch, that the last time you are on this show, you said it was the best version of the show ever when Brett Sprigg was subbing in for me, and then, <laughs> sure enough, you're sidelined for the next three or four shows. So, so that, that might not be causation, but there's certainly correlation between the pair. Uh, we wanted to have you off the top today, Mitch, because, boy, it's been one hell of a news day. Uh, there is a heap of different talking points to get through, but... Um, first of all, the Anzac Day blockbuster, Collingwood and Essendon. Do we have some news around that fixture at the MCG on Sunday? Big news on and off the field. The crowd has been increased. The uh, state government of Victoria a short time ago confirming the crowd will be lifted from 75% to 85% at the MCG for Sunday. So that's 85,000 people. And by my reading, that'll be the biggest crowd in the world uh, if it reaches that since mm. the start of the pandemic. So it's uh, significant wow. news for, for Melbourne. The other news that's just dropped in the last couple of hours is that Collingwood will name a debutante for Anzac Day. We, we've loved these stories over the years. Mason Cox and Josh Smith were the last debutantes on Anzac Day. Jay Rantall, the midfielder from Warnable, about three hours southwest of Melbourne, will debut for the Pies. He, he racked up 28 disposals in the VFL last week. He comes in to bolster that midfield that's been uh, well hit by injuries. So a debutant on Anzac Day. We love seeing that in front of a, a jam-packed crowd at the MCG. Uh, we're big Jay Rantall fans as well, so looking forward to seeing him make his debut. And Mitch, after Bucks came out and made those comments saying, oh, saying play the kids is like yelling kick it long like what my granddad used to do, <laughs> all of a sudden he's, he's thrown a few uh, young players a, a debut. We had Finlay McRae last week and now Jay Rantall the very next week. So uh, we are starting to see some pies for the first time. Their fourth debutante for the year following uh, Bo McCreary and Ollie Henry before that as well. And it sounds like the Pies are going to bring Will Kelly back, the father-son um, prospect. He's played a handful. Wow. He played only one game last year, actually, before he was injured. He's the son of 1990 Premiership player Craig Kelly. And then Nathan Murphy is a sort of third-tall defender. He's going to come in because they've lost Jeremy Howe uh, through injury and Mark Keane, the Irishman, through suspension. So some fresh faces for the Pies. 
Um, going to be some young players everywhere because the, the Bombers are also without Jordan Ridley in defence. They're reigning best and fairest. Mitch, and Collingwood is the big story today with the new president finally unveiled, Mark Quarter, who is going to join us very, very shortly. With your backroom knowledge, what is the inside story of how it came to be that Mark Quarter is the new Collingwood president? So Eddie Maguire steps down in February. Um, I think we sort of knew for a week or so it was coming, but it was pretty quick in the time frame then, Ben. So seven-person board at the Pies. They moved to a point, Mark Quarter and Peter Murphy at that very point as co-vice presidents. They said in two months or so they would appoint a standalone president. They went through the process. They've actually replaced Eddie Maguire's role on the board in that director position. Uh, Neil Wilson will, will come on. He's the chairman of the uh, Victorian Racing Club at the moment. There's a bit of jostling, it's fair to be said, uh, between Mark Corder and Peter Murphy, uh, the two co-vice presidents, for the top seat. Mark Corder gets the position. He's been a long-time vice president to Eddie Maguire. was on the board since 2007. Can't wait to hear your interview with him because there is a school of thought that Eddie Maguire goes out. Uh, part of that reasoning was the handling of the, the do-better report into racism and systemic racism at the club. Should they have wiped the slate clean? I'm keen to see what Mark has to say about that and also the potential of an extraordinary general meeting because uh, if Pies fans want to flip this right now, they've got the power to and it mm. might come at the end of the year. Um, but it doesn't feel to me that it's a proper cleaning of the slate that the Pies would have hoped for. So let's see what happens in the next few months. Mitch, Patrick Dangerfield goes in for ankle surgery. How long is he likely to be out for? Well, usually these syndesmosis, Ben, would be around you know, 8 to 10, maybe up to 12 weeks. I'm putting danger somewhere between 6 and 10 because of his recuperative powers to, to get up and return from injury. He's done it before. Uh, Joel Sell would return from a similar surgery inside five weeks a couple of years ago. So wouldn't put it past danger, but it is a blow for the Cats. They're 3-2 and two and just going at the moment. Jeremy Cameron... Uh, still have to see his name listed officially for the Cats. He's still touch and go to return from that hamstring. They face West Coast at home this week. Uh, they would have loved danger in that team, and they're going to need some other players to stand up now in the midfield. The only silver lining to this, I think, for Geelong, Ben, is that Dangerfield's groins were still an issue, and we know he battled through them over the off-season, the later parts of last year. You know, eight to ten weeks now to, to get him to work on that uh, syndesmosis ankle injury. It might actually be a blessing in disguise that his groins will return to 100% fit. Is John Walsfold back in footy, Mitch? I can't believe this. This came from left field today. The Blues have appointed John Worsfold to be a coaching advisor to David Teague. Uh, we know last year John Worsfold said he was going to um, look for some work in the football industry. Well, it's taken until round five, heading into round six now, for him to get that position. I just find the, 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 the timing very strange in that David Teague, under all sorts of pressure now, the Blues 2-3 and three and facing a really tough run over the next month. They've got three of, the, I think, the top five or six teams over the next um, over the next month. To bring in John Worsfold, yes, he might help, but the whole optics of this, when a coach is under pressure and feel the need to add to the coaching department, it's just got a little bit of a stench to me, and I'm really keen to see how this plays out. He won't be full-time, John Worsfold. He's flying over today to, to get to Melbourne to oversee and sit in the box, but... Gee, I hope for David Teague's sake this works out because it could be, uh, you know, it could be the beginning of the end. An appointment like this. And you're at the Saints today. Jack Billings has a foot injury. Yeah, this is a surprise one from left field last week. So we learnt today that Jack Billings actually ruptured his plantar fascia cool. in the warm-up last week, which would have, you know, we've heard stories of players injuring them before, and actually sometimes helps because it removes the, 
you know, the pain out of your foot in the long term, but it would have hurt at the time. Rowan Marshall did it and, and wasn't able to get up off the five-day break. Jack, Jack Billings did it in the warm-up and then played out the game. Only had 14 touches, one of his quieter games in a long time uh, for the Saints, but he's going to be fit and ready to play and join Marshall back in the team alongside Zach Jones for, for a must-win game against Port Adelaide on Sunday. Thanks, Mitch. We'll hear you on Grandstand AFL on Sunday at the Melbourne Cricket Ground, of course, for the big blockbuster between Collingwood and Essendon. Can't wait. Hopefully I can find a seat down there on the boundary. Absolutely. Mitch Cleary, the best newsbreaker in the business, along with 84,999 others. He'll be there at the MCG on Sunday. And anyone who hasn't seen Mitch Cleary do the boundary, he doesn't just sit stationary. He's a dynamic boundary rider. He's racing up and down behind the perspex, behind the bench, trying to see if he can get a better angle at uh, any of the injuries. Can I just do a little impromptu? I know you told me to keep it moving today, keep it moving, but just a little impromptu, uh, flesh it out, throw it out. I'm just going to flesh out the Warsfold Teague story that Mitch just touched on there. On with Mitch, this is a fascinating story. Mm. So a couple of things which came to mind. One was Chris Judd's comments yes. last year on Footy Classified. Have you got it there? Let's have a listen to this first. So this was Chris yeah, Judd I last think, year. I think we've said that publicly. We want a, an experienced coach that can take us to the next level. We, we don't want someone with training wheels on. We don't want someone with training wheels on. And now all of a sudden they go and get a former coach, not at the start of the season, but five rounds in to come and oversee their sort of rookie coach in David Teague, who obviously took over mid-year from Brenda Bolton a season ago now. So he's what he's in his essentially his second full season, David Teague, and coached half the year in 2019. I actually had the chance to catch up with Kevin Sheedy earlier today. You'll hear this interview as part of our coverage on Sunday at the MCG of the Pies and the Dons, but... I didn't want to miss the moment, Ben, just to ask Kevin Sheedy about the story of the day with uh, what's happening with John Warsfold coming over to partner David Teague. This was Kevin's response. I think any idea is a good idea as long as the head coach at that time uh, enjoys it and wants it and likes to uh, keep learning. We should always keep learning from hmm. previous coaches or previous prime ministers or you know premiers. I think in the end, you know, the day you shut down and not you know, listen to other people who've had that experience that you, you're waiting for and you're trying to get, I think just in the end, um, you probably shouldn't be in the position of coaching. So I think um, you know the more the more uh, previous coaches like um, Lee Matthews or David Park and so forth, uh, can even Ross Lyon, who was a fantastic coach but didn't win a premiership, unfortunately. Paul Rees, I mean, he's been asked that many times to go back and help other clubs. So I think that's important. I kind of like it in a sense that, remember last year, Mitch actually wrote that story, and I'm sure we'll talk to him more over the weekend about it, about the coach whisperer, when he had the coach whisperer story. So David Teague has been known to sort of go outside the box to try and find some support. And I I love the fact that he's, Mm. he's humble enough in himself to know that he can keep learning and learning from other people, and he has good memories with John Walsfold. If it wasn't his idea and it was Carl, uh, Carlton's idea, it's diabolical and it's all going to end in tears. But oh, I'd take them absolutely on their word that this was Teague's push to get John Walsfold involved. I'm really upset that you're of that opinion because I was going to make the point. I'm reading a great book at the moment, Corbin, called Think Again mm-hmm. by Adam Grant. And really the origins of that book are about having the humility to know what you don't know. And it is basically about lifelong learning. And that's the essence of what Kevin Sheedy said just then, that you can always keep learning. They have a relationship from John Worsfold actually gave David Teague his first uh, gig in coaching when he came across from coaching in the VFL to be an assistant at the West Coast Eagles. So if it is, as you put, driven by David Teague, then it Mm. is a, a good move 
because there is always something you can learn. There is always something you can pick up from someone like John Worsfold. My bigger concern with Carlton at the moment, Corbin, is that Chris Judd makes those comments, right? So he says, we don't want someone with training wheels on. Yes. Clearly the, the board was moving down one path. It seems at least upon reflection, and we thought this at the time, that player power got David Teague appointed in many respects. So then we end up with a lot of the senior players who David Teague is loyal to, and perhaps now a lot of people are questioning why they're playing. Is he in a catch-22 situation where he feels an element of loyalty to the senior players who perhaps helped him be appointed that is now proving... um, counter-effective to the development of, of the Carlton Football Club and the direction they do need to go. Yeah. Well, I don't think the board deserved the mulligan either. They also picked Brendan Bolton and then decided to come along and pick David Teague. And you could argue, Ben, that they felt the pressure of the fans, that all their members wanted David Teague as well. So if they were to turn around and go and get someone else, one, it's a... I don't think they were left with any choice in the way that it played out. How could you not appoint David Teague after the end of the season? The players wanted him. The fans wanted him. If they went and got someone else, imagine taking over that job and the team wasn't successful straight away. That would be... Well, do you give do you give them a mulligan for David Teague then? Because they no. were left optionless there. No, the board can't come and pick a third coach. There's got to be bigger changes. Um, Two strikes are out. Oh, I said on Monday, Ben, the last 11 games this year, not the first 11 games I want to see from Carlton. Uh, we have bigger things to do, Ben, than rank the best nine games of the week, which is what we usually do in our power ranking. So talk about rapid fire with Mark Corder about to join us. These are the nine games in the Anzac round that we're looking forward to in order of least consequence to most. Least is Hawthorne Adelaide. This game being played down in Launceston, early game on Sunday, Anzac Day. Not a heap to see here. I think the Crows will be winning, but let's wait and see. Next game's Gold Coast, Sydney. Only interest here is really around the Suns. A little bit of pressure applied to them during the week. Can they step it up here against Sydney? Uh, Unfortunately, this game comes in at number seven, Fremantle and North Melbourne, Saturday night. Major reason for that is it's up against Melbourne and Richmond, Mm. but it's also the Len Hall game, which Fremantle don't get enough shine for the work that they've done over the years supporting the RSL and their involvement on this weekend, particularly around footy. They've been at it just about as long as uh, Collingwood and Essendon, and yet all these other games have moved in on their patch. I I sort of feel for Freo a little bit that that game isn't on the day itself. Number six, Port Adelaide, St Kilda. Saints struggling big time without either of their first choice Ruckman in Port Adelaide, seemingly covering their injuries well. So I've got that game in at six. Number five is Carlton and the Brisbane Lions. Uh, Dave, uh, David Teague obviously to be partnered by John Warsfold in the coach's box. So let's see what we get from the Blues. Brisbane trying to rediscover their mojo. And number four, Geelong and the West Coast Eagles. Tim Kelly obviously uh, at Kidinya Park up against his old team. The Eagles need to start picking off some games away from home, Ben, if they're going to be more than just a top eight team. And and to be a top four team, they need to win a few on the road. This is as good an opportunity as any with Geelong missing a couple. Number three, the best modern-day rivalry in footy, GWS and the Western Bulldogs. The game I have been calling the Great Western, but apparently nobody else has ever heard of it. I've asked Tim Taranto, Aaron Norton and Brett Delidio, and none of them have ever heard it referred to as that game. Best kind of plagiarism, Corby. You pinched yep. it from somewhere. No, Everyone's gonna... attributing it to you. I'm going to keep rolling with it. I'll have plenty of Western references for you in the commentary mm. tomorrow night. Number two on the list, and this could be a little controversial, Richmond and Melbourne. 
I know everybody is losing their cool this week about this game on Antac Eve. You've got the undefeated Dees up against Richmond. The whole storyline of the season is who can beat the Tigers. Melbourne get their chance to try and do it on Saturday night. And number one on the list, it always is on the Anzac weekend, is Collingwood and Essendon. Of course, at the Melbourne Cricket Ground, it is the biggest regular season game that we have on the calendar. The two teams have done a tremendous job over time, Ben, with the balance Uh, between football and paying their respects to the Anzacs. So let's see what we get on Sunday in front of 85,000 at the G. Just tell me if this is right or wrong. I've got it. The three games you had in the podium places are the three games that you were commentating this weekend. I do not put the ABC Grandstand AFL roster together, Ben, but it just so happens that way that they're the three games that I'm most invested in as well. What about a, a Western reference? The game should be played at high noon. Oh, you wouldn't understand that because while you pretend to be cultured and pretend you've watched movies of the Western genre and other movies, you have not and you wouldn't understand. But you can use that on the weekend, Corb. Well, I think I'll stick to writing my own stuff, Ben, but this is Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport Digital. Mark Court of the 13th president of the Collingwood Football Club to join us next. It's a new day, new day, new day. Right boot from the tough angle. Clutched it. How did he get free in the goal square? The handball off to English. Oh, he's got to be quick. He's caught. Grandstand AFL. Right foot, Bruno. Nah. Off the deck. It's beautiful. That's a monster kick. Oh, wow. What a finish. ABC Sports coverage of the 2021 AFL Premiership season on ABC Radio and on ABC Sport Digital. Corbin and Ben, Monday and Thursday, 5pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. Of course, you can catch up anytime in the podcast store under the Best of Grandstand folder, a new drop every Monday and Thursday. We'll also talk a little bit of the fight game later, Ben. Paul Gallon, mm. first round knockout of your boy, Big Daddy Lucas Brown, the West Australian last night. <laughs> Why is he my guy? I'm just know. really interested in the kind of Western references you've got for us, Corbin. I'm just looking through at some Western movies. What about Gunfight at OKC Coral? So a gunfight at the MCG for you on Saturday night? Mm. Is it at Docklands? Sorry, Docklands. You'll have to tune in. Grandstand AFL tomorrow night, Friday night footy. The Great Western, the Western Bulldogs mm. and GWS. The All man right. who shot Liberty Valance, the man who shot Liber or something of the like. Mm. It's not my best stuff. I'm, yes. I'm working on it on the run. Swing and a miss. Leave it to me. The 13th <laughs> president of the Collingwood Football Club. This is a club that's been around for over 100 years and just the 13th man to be the president of this great football club. The first in over 20 years. His name is Mark Corder, and he's been good enough to join us on Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport across the country. Mark, appreciate your time. Um, thank you very much. It's... Um a great honour to be the 13th president of the Collingwood Football Club, I, I must say that. You were the joint vice president alongside Peter Murphy. So I guess the opening question, Mark, is why you? Why should you be the uh, the president of the Collingwood Football Club? Yeah, so when um, Eddie, whose legacy at Collingwood is just, you know, fantastic, as, as you know, left in February, we set up a process that um, to find a new director and then to and what happens is the directors get elected, and then the directors elect the president. So 
That took us till April, so that was our scheduled board meeting in April, so not a long time, and we appointed Neil Wilson to fill Eddie Maguire's role, and then the board voted unanimously to appoint me as president. That's the board's role. So the question was whether Peter Murphy wanted the role and you also wanted the gig. So you've touched on it briefly there, but how did we arrive here with the board voting unanimously for you to be the new president? Yep, so Peter and I um, got together on the first day as co-presidents, and I said to Peter, if you want to do the job, I'm more than happy for you to do it. And he said, likewise, and we moved through the process and it ended up in the best interest of Collingwood that I, that I do that role. You know, Peter's a very busy person as well. Uh, there was seemingly a late push from a number of former players to elect someone like Jeff Brown, obviously, to, to come off or come from outside the board to, to take over as the new president. How did you go as, I guess, someone who has been on the board for a long period of time, hearing a, a number of former players throw their support um, behind someone ex- ex- external? Yeah, no, any, so the process was Chris, we appointed Christine Holgate, who's on the board, to run the process to find um, a replacement for Eddie. Um, we received about 90, um, I guess what you call applications. Christine then hired an executive search firm and we went through a proper strict process. From that 90, we interviewed, or Christine and Peter interviewed about 25 people. And then the board interviewed the seven shortlists. And that was last Thursday. We finished a couple of interviews on the Sunday, wrote the paper and recommended to the board on the board meeting on Tuesday to appoint Neil. So um, I think some of these other nominations may have come after we finished the process. You've obviously been on the board for a long period of time in terms of sort of actually being the president and you're obviously a very successful businessman. What do you think you can add as the the president of Collingwood? So I think since Peter Murphy did the review of the club in 2018, we've made lots of changes at the club. Uh, We've got a new football manager. We've got a new CEO. We've done lots of um, board renewal as well. I think all the directors except for, for me and Alex, are less than five years. So we've had renewal there. Um, you know, Alex won't seek re-election. So I am sort of a bit of a, uh, a, con- you know, a connective between the, and the past and the future. So um, you know, I'm used to chairing boards. I'm a businessman. I know Collingwood well, but I see that as you know, a role that I would have for a period of time. What's your response then, I guess, to people who say that the club needed a fresh start, it needed a new direction, not someone who's been on the board since 2007? So I'd sort of repeat what I said. We've, we've had lots of changes in management. You had a football, Graham Wright, who's just an outstanding individual, Mark Anderson, CEO, Brad Schultz, who's head of digital, and there's been significant review, renewal at the board. I mean, we have six directors, five years and less, so we're on a continuum, and you know you've got to have you know some connection to the past to also drive change for the future. But there's been lots and lots of change at Colin. I mean, we we're in you know we've got eighty thousand members, which is fantastic. We've got a fifteen million dollar redevelopment on the go. One of only four clubs that isn't funded by the AFL. So you know we've, you know Collingwood's got a great future, and you know. 
I think it's you know, the legacy that, that Lady Eddie left has just been fantastic. I heard Eddie speak a little bit last night on his usual spot on Footy Classified. Uh, why is there this attitude, Mark, towards sort of elections in football being a bad thing or, or EGMs? It, it sort of feels like there's a, um, a general sense when you put your finger in the wind that it, it sort of represents instability. Do, do you share that same view? Um, yeah, look, a good board will have, as is common practice with public companies, a nomination committee and they will have processes to select people you know, on behalf of the members and put them up to the vote. But ultimately, it's the members' say. Um, you know, my experience, and you saw it a little bit with the unrest at Richmond and various other things, is you know, these coups, so to speak, or you know, extraordinary general meetings you know, can be very damaging for the club. But you know, vocal people that you know, don't like what's happening in the club, there are ways and means of going there and boards should be receptive to taking their, their ideas on board and exploring it. So I think at the end of the day, the board is there to serve the members, and um, that's the way it is, and we should respect that. And any any member who wants to be a director of the football club can you know put their hand up. And we've been through a process. We had 90 people that we went through, so... Um, you know, it's been a good, robust process. You know, it took us a few months to do it, but we started in February. There was a March board meeting, and then we had our April board meeting. So, um, you know, good process, as all um, you know, companies and clubs should have. Mark Corder, the new Collingwood president, chatting to us here on Corbin and Ben on ABC Sport right around Australia. Uh, Mark, one thing that is going to be difficult for the club, well, potentially at the end of this season, surrounds Nathan Buckley's future. He said today that it'll be Mark Anderson and Graham Wright's decision whether he does stay or go, and the board will need to ratify that. So what will you need to hear and see for you to be pleased that Nathan Buckley is the right man moving forward? Well, I think at the board level, we want Graham and Mark, and they'll be assisted by Paul LeCurrier and Peter Murphy on the board to um, recommend um, what's in the best interest of the Collingwood Football Club. And Nathan's absolutely on board in that. You know, the whole prism should be not what's in my best interest, what's in the best interest of the Collingwood Football Club. Um, it's early in the season. Uh, Nathan is a good, passionate coach. And we'll we'll work through that during the year, as we've said many times. Do you have an expectation or an ability to quantify what that looks like in terms of wins, development, or any way? So I see that as um, you know very much with Graham Wright. Graham Wright's an outstanding football manager. Um, Nathan reports to him, so the CEO with a few board members. We'll put, all, we'll put those criteria together and the process together. It feels a bit... Like um, we did last time. It feels a little bit, Mark, that, I mean, we're at this crucial sort of uh, fork in the road for the Collingwood Football Club as to sort of what comes next, and you're the man who takes over as the president at this particular time. And one thing that we have known about Collingwood for a long period of time, despite the struggles that the club's had, is it, it seemingly um, had a great sense of stability from the outside, obviously, under Eddie's presidency. Is... is that's something you want to see continue? Are you trying to do it your own way and change direction, I guess? How much change can we expect to see from Collingwood over this, this next period? Um, Collingwood and all clubs will have their challenges. And I think absolutely 
everybody's passionate about building and maintaining a better club. Um, you know, that's absolutely fundamental. You know, probably a word we use a lot at Collingwood is do better. And, um, you know, that's a very important philosophy that we have. I feel like there's been lots of change at the board level. I feel like there's been lots of change at the management level. And we should continue changing, but in a, in a steady um, manner. So, no, the new president's not going to go in and make radical changes to the club. We are strong very financially strong, great brand, great people. You know, and I feel like, you know, we're building a better club all the time. You've obviously had change in the playing group last year as well, with obviously pressure on the salary cap, a number of guys leaving. You mentioned 85,000 members, and they're often vocal, the Collingwood fans as well. Uh, as a president, how do you sort of bring a sense of calm to that, to, to I, I guess, um, reassure Collingwood fans that this club is heading in the right direction and, uh, and things aren't, I guess, as bad as they sometimes appear externally? I think that's a, you know, that's a great, great observation. Um, it feels very calm. You know, I've, I've been with the management. And I've worked with Peter Murphy. You know, we talk daily. It feels very calm in the club. They're getting across, you know, particularly we've just finished the AFL W season, which, you know, we lost the preliminary final by four points. Um, netball season is about to start, and we've had the netballers have had a fantastic um, practice matches. Um on the football side, sure, we'd like to be better than one and four, but you know that can turn around pretty quickly. But it feels like management, everybody. Now, obviously, Eddie leaving after 23 years, it's a fantastic legacy that he left Collingwood. Let's let's face it, the legacy he has left the members is just phenomenal. And sure, that's going to take a bit of adjusting too. But you know, if you ask me a word, I would say it feels calm, and we're in direction and we've got a great management team, and, um, yeah, it feels calm. I'm not interested in backing the truck back over the trade period of last year, but how have you and how will you now as president, Mark, I guess ensure that we don't see a repeat of what we did throughout the trade period last year? So, you know, all clubs are sort of operating at around 98 to 100% of the salary caps. It has to be... Um, very well managed. Um, we made certain decisions after 2008, you know, losing in the last few minutes to keep that team together and attempt to win a premiership in the next year or two. We got close um, in the preliminary final, um, but then we set up a strategy. Listen, we need to replenish the list. Also, you know, you forget that we did sign Dugowie, we did sign Grundy, we did sign more, you know, three really big signings. And that led to, you know, future salary cap issues, not current because we're, you always have to stay within your cap and we always do. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a difficult period, but you know, we made some pretty hard decisions. But frankly, I think we could have communicated that better with the members. Are you going to be outspoken, Mark, on the prison bar jumper that Port Adelaide want to wear all the time? <laughs> uh, 
I'll, I'll, I'll leave that to, to management to give us some advice on that. So. <laughs> uh, Mark, good luck in the job. Um, it's obviously a difficult, or seemingly a difficult time uh, for the Collingwood Football Club coming in after uh, a man with a high profile who's been there for a long period of time. We appreciate you taking our call today and look forward to chatting to you regularly over, uh, over your tenure as the, the president of the Collingwood Football Club. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Mark Corder, the 13th president of the Collingwood Football Club, with us here on Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport. Full face of the bat from Mark. He was uh, playing it very safe in his first speaking engagement as the Collingwood president, which is very understandable, I guess, Corb. Told us a couple of things. So Mm. one was, I guess, the importance as to why it was him as opposed to anyone else. So he spoke a bit about... Uh, the fact that there has been regular change, not just in management but on the board as well. So to be able the to bridge from the past to the future, you've got to have a connection from the past to drive change for the future. Was the quote from um, Mark Corder? Also, like his comments around "do better" as a phrase that they uh, continually hear at Collingwood nowadays. It was obviously the title of the report into um, systemic racism in the club and. Said he feels like they're building a better club all the time. So, yeah, it was it was nice to hear from him first up and fingers crossed we hear from him a, a bit more as his, uh, his tenure goes on. It, it's, it's odd that a lot of footy clubs in the competition, Ben, either have an outspoken CEO or chairman. It feels like one or the other sort of speaks on behalf of the admin and the leadership for the club. And um, I don't think he's going to be as outspoken as the last president. No. But um, in charge of a club that big, fingers crossed, we, we do hear from him. And even just the way he said we could have communicated what happened in the trade period better mm. than we did. Eddie on, what was it, uh, last night? Yep. Was, oh, no, sorry, a week ago was arguing that, no, it wasn't a, what was the phrase that Sam McClure used that Eddie... Uh, um, debacle? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, yep. Eddie took offence to it being labelled a debacle. I, you could sense from the way Mark was speaking there that he agreed it was a bit of a, a debacle or a shambles. This is Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport, and you can catch up anytime in the podcast store under the best of grandstand folder. Now, Paul Gallen last night, an early stoppage win over Big Daddy Lucas Brown. We'll talk about that next. And Tom Boyd's going to join us, former giant bulldog. Here on Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport. Open your kids' ears to the world with these podcasts on the ABC Listen app. For answers to curious questions, listen to Short and Curly. What are some things you think robots will be able to do when you're an adult? Delve into Imagine This, a science podcast for the whole family. What makes a star fall out of the sky? Or explore the diverse languages and stories of Indigenous Australia with little yarns. We've got some very clever jargons here. Open their ears to the world. Download that. The ABC Listen app today. Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport, 5pm, recorded live, Australian Eastern Standard Time every Monday and Thursday, and of course, the best of Grandstand folder in the podcast store. Now, Corbin, if I had a dollar for every time over the past week you asked me if I was going to watch Paul Gallen and Lucas Big Daddy Brown, I would have been able to afford the fight. <laughs> That's how often you ask me, the forty nine ninety five or whatever it is. It's very inexpensive. On main event. The question is, you keep telling me, this is how you put it to me. Big Daddy Brown is a guy who held a piece of the heavyweight world title belt. He did. And he was beaten last night by a former footballer in... Paul Gallen. And mm. you're saying that he is a far better boxer than people have realised, cottoned onto, or given him credit for as yet. Yeah. Is that right? He takes the sport seriously. 
and he did last night. He can't help that Lucas Big Daddy Brown rolls up fat and out of shape. Looking in the state that he did last night when he was in a hot mess, when he was getting knocked around the ring by Paul Gallon, who sort of brought plenty of fury to the fight, as he so often does. Paul trains for it. He dedicates himself to it almost full-time nowadays that he's, his football career is over, so he's not a dual athlete anymore. He's All he's training for is his boxing career. Um, he took it seriously. His opponent seemingly didn't. He was self-trained. We've seen him in better nick in the past. Lucas Brown, he got caught with a big overhand right, and he never recovered. He got- but isn't that kind of the point? I mean... Paul Gallon fought a guy last night who was out of condition he can't and seemingly that. didn't take the fight seriously. He can't no, he that. can't. But so if he, if it, he does, signs- it does raise questions over the the quality of the opponent that he beat. He didn't beat Lucas Brown at his best. He beat a watered down version but, of him, him former, his former self. But when he signs the contract, he's not anticipating Lucas Brown to not take it seriously and not train properly. Paul Gallon did everything that he was required to do. He did train properly. He did take it seriously. And he went in there and he got a lesser version of a former, uh, of a former belt holder on the world-class level. Now, at the end of the day, but We're ben, trying to gauge how good Paul Gallon is. Yeah. And it's hard to do that when he comes up against Lucas Brown in that sort of nick. One thing I would say, Ben, he had no business even being in the ring with someone with his credentials. So people get this confused a bit in, in boxing all the time. And the funniest thing with Paul Gallon is he's so raw and honest, Ben, that he'll tell you exactly what it is. So he says regularly that, look, I'm a prize fighter. So I'm here to fight mm. for the biggest prize. I'm not here to collect all these alphabet titles. So he's there to put on the biggest show possible. So a lot of the time that's with another former footballer. It's with a John Hapawadi or a Barry Hall or these kind of guys that he can get in the ring and make money with. Or it's a another mixed martial artist, a guy like uh, Mark Hunt, for example, who you know isn't a boxer, but he can get in there and put on a good show because he's a name brand kind of guy. So Gallon essentially says, oh, well, everyone wants me to take the next step up and fight someone who's actually... A boxer? Okay, I'll fight Lucas Brown, who's the best credentialed heavyweight in Australia at the moment. Justice Hooney wanted to fight uh, Lucas Brown, who's our up-and-coming mm-hmm. heavyweight at the moment. And so Gallon signs the contract, gets in there. Everybody before the fight says, well, Gallon's going to get beat. He's going to get knocked out. He's, he's fighting an actual boxer. He's just a former footballer. He wins in two minutes, looks super impressive, and again, everybody just wants to take credit away from him. I uh, yeah. I don't know what, what else Paul Gallon has to do. I thought it was highly commendable on his part for what well, he did. where to from here? So this is the big question. All of that said, Ben, I don't think he has any business being in the ring with actual fighters and, and proper heavyweights. I think that that's a bad idea. I think that the best thing that Paul Gallon can do is continue to put on shows. Why does he have to get in the ring with Justice Hooney, who's been boxing since he was a baby, He's got a deep amateur pedigree. He's going to the Olympics later this year. He's in his physical prime. Paul Gallon is 42 years of age in his second act as a professional sportsman. Uh, I don't think that's a good idea. And if I was advising Paul Gallon, I'd be telling him to stay way away from Justice Hooney. But what happens, Ben, and this is actually a credit to Gallon and what he's been able to do, is people start looking around the landscape and thinking, how are we going to get Paul Gallon beat? And we've gone through all the footballers and we've gone through everyone else that's a little bit of a sideshow. Now we're getting on to the actual box. So they go and get someone like Lucas Brown, who's done something that no other Australian heavyweight has ever done. And then, oh, that didn't work. Who's the next best heavyweight that we can put him in the ring with? When does it actually stop to the point that this guy's 42 years of age, Ben, as a former footballer? It is phenomenal what he's been able to do in in Paul Gallon. And he's the biggest pay-per-view star in this country. He outrates Tim Zhu and has done for a period of time now. So the leg up that he's given guys like Zhu and Liam Wilson last night, I think Australian boxing should actually be very thankful 
to Paul Gallon for the light that he's actually put on the sport and the shows that he's been able to deliver. So where are we at with Sonny Bill Williams and Paul Gallon? Mm. Will that ever happen? And well, Sonny hasn't fought for a minute. So I saw Sonny last Friday night at the Rugby League and had the chance to go up and say hello, which was always a big thrill. I was a big Sonny Bill fan, Ben, when I was little. Uh, and he said he was six or eight weeks away from being back in the ring, but that won't be with Paul Gallon straight out of the gates. He'll have to get a run Did up Did you ask that. him about when he was fighting again? Yeah, he said six or eight weeks. Mm. Mm. Interesting. So, How much money would Paul Gallon have made from last night? That's a great question. Um, it would have been a... Yeah, it would have been... I don't have the exact numbers, but he would have done very well out of it. Are we talking seven figures? Yep. So he would have made over a million dollars last night. I think night. so. Yeah, certainly would have been on his way towards that figure. Mm. Mm. So he's... I'd get in there for that. He's the biggest cash cow in Australian boxing at the moment, which is... And now we're, we've reached this point where we've got... It's sort of rolled up the community so much in common sports fans, Ben, that people are either paying to watch him win... Or as Anthony Mundy made a lot of money out of, people are paying to watch him lose. And so I'm, I'm very interested to see what happens next. You, you feel like that even uh, his biggest payday out there, so if you're looking for his next biggest fight, it's probably Sonny Bill, that if they can make that happen at, at some stage. But oh, I think Gallon's level is, is way too superior for Sonny. He hasn't fought for a long period of time. So uh, you might have a hard time trying to convince Sonny that that's the way to go. So you were there fanboying with Sonny Bill Williams last week, and now you're sitting here looking at me and mm. saying that he's not good enough to go toe-to-toe with Paul Gallon. Not straight out of the gates. Mm. Maybe once he's had a few rounds and had a few fights, Ben, maybe. Sonny's, right, an, that's unbel- boxing for Sonny's an unbelievable athlete remembering as well. So um, if you want to get involved in this conversation, at ABC Sport, Twitter and Facebook, we've just put a post up as well asking sort of what comes next for, for Paul Gallon. So our social teams... Uh, doing a great job on that front, Ben. You can continue the conversation there. Yep, there's uh, there's a lot of uh, SMSs coming through. A lot of it is divisive, but generally SMSs. a lot of people... Sorry, a lot of tweet replies. Hmm. The majority are discrediting Paul Gallon's win last night, which you spoke to. I'm, hmm. I'm just pointing out that is the... Uh, the consensus. Yeah. If you look, and I saw someone reply about Jake Paul, who's obviously the YouTube fighter. It's it's more in that category than it is obviously in the category of um, of your top echelon world-class fighters or the rest of it. He's not sort of on a pound-for-pound pound list or he's not going to fight sort of Anthony Joshua or Tyson Fury anytime soon. But um, what he is doing at 42 as a former footballer is is super impressive. This is Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport. Tom Boyd, still to come. Know the story with ABC News Digital. Get the latest breaking news with live notifications whenever you want, wherever you are. We are considering going to zero emissions. We'll go ahead as planned. And abruptly ended the case. It will help us all get back to normal and back to all the things that we love. Those are the kind of things that work. There's hope for a brighter future. ABC News, Australia's most trusted news source. Head to news.abc.net.au or download the ABC News app. who played 62 games across both the Western Bulldogs and GWS. And, of course, he was a part of that 2016 Premiership for the Western Bulldogs. He kicked that wonderful goal from the centre of the square. And, uh, well, he's the perfect person to speak to when the great Western rolls around. He's doing a lot of great work at the moment as well. Joining us on Corbin and Ben on ABC Sport Digital Radio is Tom Boyd. Uh, Tom, welcome. 
Yeah, it's great to be here. It's an exciting round, one that um, honestly used to fill me with a bit of uh, bit of dread coming into the Giants. But um, look, we've had some good success against them in the past, and I'm sure the boys will be amped up for this week. So what's it like for you now when the Western Bulldogs and GWS meet? Oh, look, to be honest, as, as much as I you know, really value the experiences I had at the Giants, my predominantly focus was always uh, playing at the Bulldogs and um, you know that's where my heart's going to lie for the foreseeable future. I certainly enjoy watching them play and um, you know they're the team that I'll be rooting for each week. Uh, you would have friends on both sides though. You are in political terms someone who can cross the floor so when you see them going at each other and it gets physical like it has, uh, what are you thinking? Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, it's, I think it's representative of a couple of things. I mean, first and foremost, there's been you know, a very gradual, but very organic build to this rivalry. Mm. Um, you know, it did start in some ways before I even arrived there. There was games that were full of physicality. You know, the Giants were the new team on the block. And at that time, I think the Bulldogs were probably quite young as well. So there was a real sort of sense of animosity that grew between the young competitive players. And then uh, the other thing it's probably circumstantial of is, is the fact that there's some absolute top-tier players on both sides. Um, very proud players, very competitive players, and, and very physical as well. So um, you look across the board, and, and it's not just like you have some of the top 50 players. You know, you have a significant number of probably of the top 20, 25 players in the competition going head-to-head, and um, that's what footy's all about. And one way it did start is someone who I believe you know really well, Danny McGinley. I think his banner, I remember, it said, our footy club was born in blood and boots, not in AFL focus groups. And I think that started to just ignite a little bit of the rivalry outside of, obviously, Callum Ward's uh, trade. Obviously, you and Ryan Griffin with that trade, the 2016 prelim and Marcus Bontempelli and, and Nick Haynes. I, I think little digs like that have helped establish the rivalry. Yeah, and I mean, there's the, the game we played in Canberra where Toby unfortunately clipped Caleb with the boot. And, um, you know, look, I think rivalries as a whole, they don't exist without true competition. Um, and that's why it's been such a, a fruitful rivalry between the two clubs because there's been genuine competition at the top end of the ladder, you know, on and off over the past seven or eight years as these two clubs have grown into their own. And, and, and the list that we see today have sort of uh, manifested themselves over the past uh, little period of time. What are you seeing when you look at the dogs at the moment? I, I was really interested to hear just off the top your analysis of how they're travelling. It seems like you're watching them very, very closely. Well, close enough. Certainly closer than I have in previous years. Um, look, I think there's been a really interesting changing of the tide. And I mean that by, if you think back to the 2016 season, you know, in terms of rule changes, we really fell on the wrong end of the stick when it came to the third man up rule getting pulled out of the game. Um, if you think about how much of an advantage for uh, that rule was for us, and then to, for that to be removed, it really did put a bit of a take a bit of wind out of our sails in 2017. But then you look forward now, and the the rule changes come in in particular with the manning on the mark. That actually suits the Bulldogs absolutely to a T because not only do their midfield have genuine speed and, and ability to win the ball, but the kicking power in that in that midfield at the moment is genuine top class, and, and it's really opening up the game. So. Um, for the Bulldogs' prospects, I mean, at some stage this year, they'll be challenged by someone. But I think overall, overwhelmingly, their midfield is going to just get on top um, almost every game this year. And GWS, they seem to be at their best when their backs are against the wall. Um, we've seen it, you know, a, a couple of years ago. We're seeing it again over the last couple of weeks. Why do you think that is? Um, I mean, I'm sure it starts with Leon. I mean, Leon is a, is a brilliant coach, both in the tactical sense, but also he's a seriously, seriously competitive man. And I'm sure 
that he has the ability to to bring the uh, the competitive spirit out in his plays. It's always been something he's been really good at over the years. So I imagine that's got a, a large part to do with it. And then obviously, you know, you look at Toby um, playing forward and the way he represents his team is absolutely brilliant, the way he goes out every single week. And, and again, I mean, these... These uh, examples of players who really set the tone for their teams uh, are the reason why I think that teams like um, the Bulldogs under Marcus Bontepelli, obviously, and then the Giants can can rally when the chips potentially aren't quite in their favour. We speak a lot about Ward, Boyd, Griffin, uh, even Reed to a certain extent. We often forget Leon Cameron, of course, who cut his teeth in the kennel and now the, the coach of GWS. So that doesn't get spoken about all that much. Hey, Tom, you're, you're out in the community. You're a tremendous speaker, as we've heard here. What are you doing at the moment? What are you, you doing with your work in the community and your public speaking? Well, look, I do a lot of different things. I mean, primarily I focus in the mental health space. And I mean, I think, look, you look back at last year and the, the serious ramifications that the disconnect of the, the global pandemic had on people. I, I think truly it is, you know, the most important topic facing young people and people more broadly in our society today. So that's where the, the primary focus of my efforts are, both on the commercial sense coming forward and trying to speak to companies about how best they can manage the uh, the challenge in front of them, but also more broadly at community sport um, within the Sons of the West program. I spoke to them this week um, and all sorts of sort of charitable groups and not-for-profits trying to uh, to give as much value as I can with the, the way that I can speak and share some of the real challenges that I've faced in my past. And I've also managed to jump into the podcasting game, sort of mm. sort of stepping on your toes, of sorts, with Danny McGinley, just as a, a bit of fun, enjoying the, uh, the journey of the Bulldogs this season. Um, I'm also doing some work with a company called Everperform who work in data analytics around, again, the mental health space. So it's been a really exciting, um, exciting 12 months sort of coming off the back of having to reinvent yourself ever so slightly with the pandemic and all of the restrictions that were placed under. So I'm looking forward to a really exciting year. Well, you've spoken incredibly well here. You're in the podcasting game. The boss of ABC Sport is a big fan of this show, so you might have a gig as a, an expert commentator with how you pick the uh, the game apart. So, well, it's probably a little low paying for you with how well you're going at the moment, Tom. But uh, just a, a quick one as well. You mentioned your work in the mental health space. Uh, it might be a, a private issue and one that you, you'd rather... Um, not comment on, and I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but John Patton's challenges at the moment, is it is it something that you would speak to him about and, and try and see if you can help him out in any way, shape or form? Oh, it's an interesting question. It's not something I've actually spent much time thinking about. Look, my role within mental health is very, very clear. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert. I'm not a medical professional. And I am absolutely willing and able to help in any way I can with any players or any people in general who reach out to me. Now, having said that, it's definitely not my role to reach out and, and try and pry into other people's lives. And, and look, the thing that I tell people is that, you know, being vulnerable and sharing is really, really powerful, but it does need to be done in the right space. And, and it does need to be done with those who are, you know, deeply connected to the intimate story that you face as an individual. And that's not necessarily a role that I play in John's life. But, you know, obviously I do wish him all the best. He's a former teammate of mine former Eastern Ranger and um, also number one draft pick from the Eastern Ranger. So, you know, quite clearly, I, I do want what's best for John uh, long-term and I wish him all the best. You speak incredibly well. I, I really enjoyed chatting to you, Tom. Best of luck. I know you've got uh, renovations and all sorts going on in your life at the moment. You're very, very busy. Uh, I really appreciate you being good enough to, to take our call and have a chat to us. No worries. Anytime. And uh, go the dogs this weekend. So, Tom Boyd speaking there, very pro-Western Bulldogs heading into your great Western call yes, middle bass. very, very, I would say. Absolutely, mm. Tom Boyd. Uh, great to hear from him.
He said, uh, mm. we've had some good results against them recently. I'll take you back, Ben. This is how the whole Great Western conversation came about on Grandstand AFL. I, I thought it was just commonly referred to as this, and then we ended up asking Tim Taranto <laughs> and Aaron Norton, members from both teams, across our Grandstand uh, AFL coverage the last couple of weeks, and hasn't quite caught fire the same way I thought it was going to. Following that, uh, they have the Great Western up against the Western Bulldogs on the Friday night in Canberra and then Adelaide at Adelaide Oval. So an interesting three weeks. Is that what it's called, the Great Western? It is. Is it? GWS and the Western Bulldogs? You haven't heard that before? No, mate. That's no, the first time. You, you just made it up. Yeah, correct. <laughs> you're just, you're just trying, trying to, to you're just trying stuff, to get mate. Yeah. I'm happy to take credit for it if you want, <laughs> if you want to put it down to me. And last one, have you ever heard of the game between yourselves and the Western Bulldogs being referred to as the Great Western? <laughs> Never. No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've, you've set me up beautifully, Tim. Well done tonight. Congratulations on the win. All right. Thanks, boys. Uh, you play GWS now on Friday night. Have you ever heard the game referred to as the Great Western, Aaron? <laughs> never. Nah, never. <laughs> it's not going too well, is it? It hasn't oh, reached Brett the players Delidio, this year. Brett Delidio just prejudiced oh, yeah, the no. jury. He didn't help me. By saying never before Aaron Norton had a chance to reply. Didn't help me. Uh, we do often oh, talk I want about someone the... to admit it so that you don't get the credit. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to roll with it. <laughs> Tune in tomorrow night. You're going to be hearing plenty of great Western references. There's no doubt about that. Um, we often talk about the WA media, which mm. over there in Perth, Ben, you live in this weird little sort of footballing enclave of, uh, of characters. And the West Coast Eagles have an enormous amount of influence over the city and its key football media. Um, Adam Simpson was maybe just trying to leverage a little bit of that earlier today. Yeah, well, I thought, you know, WA would look after us a bit more and not tick off everyone at the airport and tell the world. So, um, you know, you'll find out at the airport if he's playing or not. If he's on the plane, he'll play. Now, you might think Adam Simpson was joking there. No. He was not. And what people say in jest, Corbin, they often mean. Mm. I think he was deadly serious. He was just reminding the uh, WA media who the boss is here so in Western Australia. What does he expect? The media's going to give them a chop out and, and not, not say who's getting <laughs> on the plane, what to help the West Coast Eagles. I don't know. Do you, know do what's, you find that interesting? Do you know what's bizarre, Ben? That I, I swear to you, there will be people that will take that on board. So there will be journalists in your city that will go, oh, look, Adam Simpson said this. We, you know, we, we better not tick off everyone on the airport and we don't want to upset the West Coast Eagles. No. No, that, I think they will. No. They'll be hiding, Ben. They'll be worried you that they upset. they are more loyal to the West Coast Eagles than their employer and the job that they are employed to do. Okay. Keep a watch on it. For, our listeners are very loyal and very observant, Ben. Mm. Go back. Look at the journos who usually report on who gets on the plane tomorrow. And when the team flies out, when do they fly out? Today or tomorrow? Tomorrow. Yeah. When the team flies out, you'll notice there'll be some missing tweets. I think it'll have an influence. This is a great watch list. (laughs) It'll have an influence. (laughs) Oh, we'll put them all on notice. Uh, Enjoy the footy over the weekend. No Thursday night footy, of course. Grandstand AFL tomorrow night. We'll be back on Monday, Ben. You can catch up anytime in the podcast store under the best of Grandstand folder or catch us live on ABC Sport Digital Monday from 5. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.